0: Hey, we're in October, man. Can you believe it? No, but we are. doesn't matter what you think. We're already in October, so so there we go. In 1981, a small six-seat Cherokee plane was carrying five people uh, in it, and it crashed into a remote ridge in one of the most rugged ranges of the Colorado Rocky Mountains. Gary Meeks was a Dallas construction worker. He was piloting the plane. His wife and two sons and a business friend were with him on the plane. And without warning, as they were cruising, the plane began to lose power, and Gary couldn't control the plane except, uh, you know, crash landing in a snow-covered mountain. The good news was because there was so much snow on the ground that it cushioned the impact of the plane. And so the plane and all its uh, passengers survived the crash, which began an extensive search mission. But here's the deal, man you had a white plane against white snow. And from any distance, you know that can be challenging white on white. So uh, during uh, the long, agonizing wait for the search party, uh, Gary kept a diary. He thought he would collect his thoughts uh, as a memory. And uh, this is what he wrote. It took all afternoon today to clear away my head. I was so groggy every time I looked out the window of the wrecked plane at the mountainous granite walls, all half hidden behind a veil of blowing snow. I could just think in my heart, this has to be a bad dream. But then I would look around at Pat, my wife, and our boys, their faces filled with fear, shivering in the frosty cabin of the plane. And I realized again what had happened. I really don't remember the crash. All I know is that my shoulder is separated, it's cold, it's cramped in here, and I'm, I'm in pain. And then he began to think, I wonder if anybody else knows we've crashed. No matter, there's nothing else for us to do, but sit here and wait. See what happens. But what a moment today, he writes. Arnie, my son, was cleaning out his suitcase. He was going to fill it up with snow and bring it back to the cabin so we could have a party and eat snow together. (laughs) About when he... uh, when he got to that open suitcase and dialed down in it, he found his Bible. Uh, Gary said, man, I never, I never was so thrilled with a Bible before. We all took turns in a cold cabin, reading it out loud. This morning, this is the next day now, two planes flew over. I'm sure they didn't see us. It's cold, and hope is hard to find. Then I heard it shortly before daylight. It was a low, throbbing sound in the distance. It was coming closer. It was a helicopter. Darren, our other son, saw it first. As it got nearer to us, it slowed and then began descending toward the valley, about a half a mile away from our plane. One of the boys shouted, It's landing! They found us! How can I describe the joy that passed through each one of us as we began to shout and scream? Our wait was over! Well, the chopper flew off again, and we realized that they did not come for us. How can I explain the devastation that we all felt? All we had been holding out for, hoping for, had been cruelly snatched away. We all, in the cabin, began to break into tears and wept. Finally, after about an hour, our tears had stopped. Arnie pulled out his Bible again, and we read some more together. How real the book of Psalms became to us. Psalm 22, 2 through 5, kind of jumped out as we were reading. It says, Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. So, Gary writes, we too must continue to trust the Lord. And we did continue to trust him. The next day the helicopter came again. This time it came for us. And we yelled, over here, (laughs) over here. And Gary concludes his writing of his diary. Oh, God, thank you. You never did forget us. God, we've been here for five days. You never left us. You never did. And I know you never will. Sometimes you may feel like your life has crashed on the side of a mountain and you're kind of stuck in the cabin and nobody knows exactly what you're going through and you feel so isolated, so alone. But the good news is as Gary and his family realized that the Lord had never left them, the Apostle Paul under house arrest realized that God had never abandoned him And we just want to encourage you today, whatever you're going through, those watching online and in this auditorium, God knows exactly where you're at. If it's a white plane on white snow, He knows exactly where you're at. He doesn't get lost. He knows your name. He knows what you're thinking. He knows exactly what you've been going through. And He can identify with you. So, Maybe you feel like you had a spiritual crash. You know, life has beat you up and just kind of like, where is God in the midst of this? Today we'll see that the Lord is always faithful. As he was with Paul, he will be faithful to you. Let's go to the book of Philippians chapter 4 and pick it up at verse 10. We started this last Sunday, and as for those of you that were here, we had a great time together, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, man. It's a great time. It was a great time. And so um, we'll kind of do a quick review for those of you that weren't here, and uh, we'll press on. So let's go to Philippians 4, um, starting at verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again, Paul writes. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me now that I was, not that I I was ever in need. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength." Father, thank you that no matter what we go through in life, you're not surprised by it. You're not shocked by it. We live in a broken world. And the reason we do, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, one sin, and it ushered in all pain and suffering, disease, hatred, anger, like a tsunami wave crashing in on this planet and we're experiencing the really the results of that one decision from years ago and we see how people live lord when they choose not to live for you we are really vile if we get down to it that's why we need you lord to live in and through our lives we need you to guide us we need your help that we can reflect your character. And so we pray for each person watching or who's in this room today, Lord, that you would make yourself known to them in a very personal way. It's true. It's true, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Paul, under house arrest, and some of you may be getting tired of hearing this, you know. <laughs> Saying to a praetorium guard, he's not going anywhere. Uh, it's been two years since he's been under house arrest. He doesn't have an ankle bracelet on. He's got chained, he's chained to a praetorium guard, 18 inches long. So uh, never time, you know, hey, let's go out and check out the sun. No, he's, he's locked inside. When you read his letter, this text that we just read, he's writing this letter back to the church at Philippi, where he planted it ten years ago. If you read this letter, you you would never think that Paul is under house arrest. You would think that he's probably in a palace somewhere, or maybe he's on vacation. You know, some warm weather where the flowers are blooming and things are great. But when you drill down in this text and you realize this dude, Paul, man, is chained to a guard. He hasn't gone anywhere for two years. He's not asked for a violin to start playing, you know, woe is me. I'm feeling sorry for myself. Or where is God in the midst of, you know, hey, I've been living for him. I've been putting my life on the line for him. I've sacrificed for him. Nothing like that. It's all encouragement. It's all about joy. It's about God's faithfulness. And so, really, this is a a letter of encouragement for all of us. And we're grateful for Paul's attitude. Because what he went through, we too... We too can follow after his example and maintain our joy in the Lord, no matter what happens on this planet. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. So number one in your notes, live to celebrate. You've already got the answer. Isn't that great? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, don't worry, there's some empty blanks there too, so get through there. I live to celebrate, verse 10, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. I know you have always been concerned for me, for but you didn't have the chance to help me. I praise the Lord. Paul, that word praise in the Greek means to rejoice exceedingly, be joyful, be full of joy. Again, here he is under house arrest, and he's having a celebration. He's fired up, man. God is here, and Jesus is working in me. And he's working in the palace guard. He's doing some cool stuff. The gospel is advancing. Paul, man, he's just ready to, you almost get that, you can feel the emotion as he's writing this letter. David Zebarth is one of our elders. This morning we were praying before the service, and uh, before we prayed, he was talking about how fired he was. <laughs> that he was he was handmade by God, and that the creation, everything man, was made by God- he was fired up over that see? that's all he could talk about and I said, David, that's cool, because I was thinking about that this morning too you know we're we're on the same we got the memo, you know <laughs> God is the great creator and 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 then he said that we don't have to wait to get to heaven to enjoy life. We should be enjoying life right here and now. And that goes to the, the mission statement of Life Church love God, love people, love life. And that word, you know, that love life, that last part can freak out some people. They think, man, you can't smile and be a Christian, you know? You gotta have a doom and gloom countenance out there because we live in a broken world. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. You know. <laughs> Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and as Paul is modeling for us, we live to celebrate what God is doing in our lives, yes. and we can get fired up at life church because we see God working in many lives. It's not just my life, but many lives, and we celebrate, and it's proof that God is alive. Man, at, at uh, uh, Alpha on Wednesday night, um, why Jesus died, they had a testimony of a dude who had been in prison in England. And he was invited to an Alpha inside the prison. And he put his faith in Christ. And the next morning, he said, I looked in the mirror and I was, at, you know, my, my countenance was changed. And he had addictions, and he said, those things just fell off. Where did that, how did that happen? You see, when, when, we, we can celebrate that, and God is working powerfully. And so that's where Paul's at. And he, you know, he's talking about, um, you know, you guys supported me financially. You lost track of me. I got lost in the, in the woods out there. Uh, the mail got lost in the mail. But you finally tracked me down again and so you're you know you haven't forgot about me so Paul is is realizing that God is at work in the church at Philippi and he's celebrating that and he's encouraging he he doesn't stop there in verse 10 but he goes on to say this is how we can continue to grow in in our f- walk with the Lord and he's going to give us some suggestions but but first of all He's saying, what? We need to live to celebrate. Is that tough for you in this culture today? Just think about it. You know, inflation is creeping and everything's more expensive and gas is going up again and it's easy. It would be easy just to sign off and say, what a terrible place. But here's the thing. There's a dude that I invited out for Alpha, and, and he doesn't have faith at all, and he's got his own faith, and he kind of blew it off initially, you know, but I ran into him last week, and he said, I may show up, you know, some Wednesday, you know, don't give up on me. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking, that God is always working it's never too late for anybody right and you may feel like it's too late for you but friend it's never too late because jesus died for you he paid your sin debt in full why because he loves you so much he wants you to hang out with him forever in heaven isn't that cool that is so We should celebrate that, right. even now. Yes, we will. So, um, we're we're gonna sell. Man, let's celebrate that. You know, like even when we sing, when we see each other, we should celebrate uh, what God is doing. So, number two, live to learn. Verse eleven. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Here Paul is, is drilling down now, um, really challenging the church at Philippi. Um, yeah, we're, we're, he's saying we're living in challenging days back when he wrote this. But he, he's saying um, if, if, you, if you don't live a contented life with the Lord, it's going to thwart your spiritual growth. And we don't want that to happen. So how can Paul get fired up in the midst of being chained to a Roman guard, etc.? You know, when you look at the circumstances that put him under house arrest, there's two key words here that Paul would say, circle them in your Bible. One is learned. He says, I have learned how to be content. Content is that second word. Um, And we kind of hit this briefly last week but we can we can be um content in our relationship with the lord from from we're grateful for what god's done and what he's doing and what he'll continue to do but there's a fine line where we be, we could become so contented where we're at that we turn the spiritual dial down like i've hit where i need to be I don't need to grow anymore. That's dangerous ground. Yeah. There's a lot of people like that. And we need to keep, keep learning. Um, live to learn. We keep, we keep learning. We keep pressing on. We keep asking the Lord to make us more like him. So that, that's, a, that's a cool thing. That word uh, learn means learn by experience, to learn by use and practice. Paul did not learn the secret of contentment from um, as a Pharisee. And he was a great Pharisee, man. He was a professional Pharisee, a professional religious leader. And he had not learned that contentment until he put his faith in Jesus Christ, and he didn't even learn that when he put his faith in Christ. It took took life situations over time, suffering, um, the faithfulness of God, all of these things to where he was able to learn contentment to where God has him. Pearl Buck, I don't know if some of you may have read her stuff. She's a famous writer. She's a daughter of missionaries to China. She wrote this, I have reached an honorable position in life because I am old and no longer young. Isn't that good? I am a far more useful person than I was 50 years ago or 40 years ago or 30, 20, or even 10 I have learned so much since I was 70. Is that good? Yeah, man. And here's the thing. Man, when when you get older, it's easy. It's just easy to put it on cruise control. It is. Spiritual cruise control. But Pearl is saying, after 70, man, I just started learning. Right? Right? And that's encouragement for all of us today. As we grow older, let us continue to learn more and more about Christ. Let us learn to give up our rights and surrender to Christ. We keep learning, we're never too old. When you stop learning, you've heard your teacher say that in the classroom never stop learning. And we think, I'm the boss of my life, and I'll stop whenever I want. But as a follower of Christ, we can dial in and, and say, Lord, help me to maintain a heart to learn more about you. There's a story once about a man who lived with his wife, his two small children, and his two elderly parents in a tiny hut And he tried to be patient, but the noise and crowded conditions just wore him down. And so in desperation, he went to the village wise man and uh, asked for some counsel, told him the situation. The wise man asked, do you have a rooster? And the man said, yeah, I've got a rooster. He says, keep the rooster in your hut with your family and come see me in a week. And the next week, the man came back to the wise man. He told him the living conditions were worsened. They didn't improve at all. He said, the rooster's crowing all the time. He's making a mess in my hut. The wise man asked, do you have a cow? And the man nodded, yeah, I got a cow. He said, take your cow into your hut too and come see me in a week. <laughs> so over the next several weeks, the, the man, on the advice of the wise man, made room for a goat two dogs, his brother's kids. Finally, the man just hit his breaking point. He's like, no more. And so he just kicked everybody out of the hut. The animals, the guests, all that was left was his wife, two kids, and parents. The hut became suddenly more spacious. It's quiet. And everybody lived happily ever after. He ended up where he started. You see, that contentment, man, we get all frazzled, man. We get all worked up over stuff, right? I can't take it anymore. Well, this wise man had some wisdom, didn't he? Because this man learned contentment. That's something that we can all learn as well. So to have real contentment, we need to remember that everything belongs to God, that's what Paul was doing, um, some of you that have come out on family Night over the years. we've played um the pineapple story. It's a true story about Otto Koning. He was a missionary to Papua New Guinea, and uh he and his wife planted a pineapple garden, but the uh the people in the village kept stealing the pineapples before they were ripe, you know, and he got all worked up over that. Uh, his blood pressure spiked and the people in the village says, you don't like us, do you? And he said, no. When he's, and they said, aren't you a Christian? <laughs> in other words, what's wrong with you, man? And, and Otto said, I had to learn that those pineapples were not mine. They were God's. I, I had to sign off ownership. They weren't my pineapples. They were God's pineapples. And if they wanted to steal God's pineapples, let them, go, let them have them. And he said that made the world a difference with being contented as a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And as a follower of Christ, we need to learn the secret that God owns it all. He owns it all. And he's allowing us to manage it, right? So no matter what we have or don't have, God is in control. Now, I'm not going to be, I don't, I don't want to sound pessimistic here, but um, I think many of you know that we are indebted to China. We're heavily involved with China. Uh, they own a lot, they have taken a lot of our debt and if they were ever to come in and ask for it, we'd be in trouble as a nation, amongst other things. But I, I love history. I, I go back to Germany in the 30s when the Nazis started going into Jewish homes and confiscating their property, their bank accounts, anything that had any uh, value to it. And I'm reminded of the fact that that can happen in the United States as well. We think it's mine. This is mine. And if China ever comes to that point where they start calling your name and confiscating your stuff, do you say it's God's stuff? It's not mine? Hmm? And I'm not talking about being a pacifist about it, but there is something where a follower of Jesus recognizes that God owns it all. That this life we're living right here, right now is temporary. This is not my home. And that's why it's important that we send we send stuff ahead. Yeah. Stuff like our finances. And that's when we remember everything belongs to God, a tithe, and I get it. That's a that's a hot topic for a lot of people. They think tithing, it's my money. No, it's not your money. It's God's money. And a tithe is this is this is it. A tithe means ten percent, but a tithe simply means it's a reminder to me that God owns it all. See, it's just a reminder because we as human beings we tend to you know it's mine and we hold it. T- but we need to let it... It's God's. Yeah. And a tithe is a reminder that it's God's. And it keeps me balanced with my stuff. With God's stuff. Right? So, that's that's a way to be contented. That's God's. What we have is a gift from Him. And we be thankful for what we have. Not comparing ourselves to others. Man, we start comparing ourselves, that messes up contentment. And then... Trust in the Lord to meet our needs. You know, that's where Paul was at. Um, check this out. The house, the graph on the, on the screen here. Uh, here's the average house and household. So in, ni- in 1790, the average square footage was 831, 1850, 888, 1910, 945. Do you see something going on here? Smaller families, right? And in 1970, 1500, and 2019, 2500 square feet, basically. See, that—that's what's happening. You know, um, 100 years ago, the average house American would would produce a list of 70 things that they needed. Today, that's well over 500. So, as time goes on, we keep collecting more and more. Right? But here's the deal. Psalm twenty-three, one. we know that one, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd. What's it say? I have all I need. Right? I have all I need. Do you see the, the contentment there when we recognize that the Lord is my shepherd? You know, he leads me to green pastures. Right? He's going to take care of me. I have all that I need. Why? Because He is my shepherd. When you put your faith in Christ, Jesus is your shepherd and He'll care for you. Paul says that I have learned how to be content with whatever I have, and there's a calm acceptance to that that God is in control of my life and I'm good. I'm good with what God is doing. Now, on the flip side, if Paul was discontented under house arrest, what he's he's doing is he's pointing his finger at God and he's saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. I'm under house arrest, and because I'm under house arrest, it's not fair. It's You've messed up, God. Do you see the attitude there? Paul is saying, I am content. I have learned to be content even under house arrest. I'm good with that because I know God has put me here for a purpose. You get it? But if you're discontented where you're at, you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. And it really thwarts the spiritual growth that God wants you and I to experience. So we have to be careful with that. We don't lean in to discontentment. And Paul learned that secret. So uh, he's learning how to be content. That word content in the original language means it was used of a country that had everything it needed and that nothing needed to be imported. Such a country had all the resources and natural products needed to be self-sufficient. Nothing else was needed from the outside. Nothing had to be imported. And I'm going to digress for a moment, because I think it's relevant. You need to understand that the United States was number one in every category prior to 1963 in the world. We had everything. We were debt-free. But in 1962, prayer was taken out of the schools, In 1963, Bible reading was taken out of the schools. Listen to this prayer that the students prayed every day before they began their classes. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on you and we beg your blessings on us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Was that good or bad? Can you imagine millions of kids praying, God bless our country. God bless my parents. God bless. And that in itself, we once had the best school system in the world, and right now we're ranked 15th among the industrialized countries. This is despite of the fact that we are spending more money than any other nation on our school system. In fact, a footnote, the United States is ranked 35th in math near the bottom of all industrialized countries. Do you realize that after prayer was taken out of the schools, test scores started dropping, and they continue to drop. And you see something about, as a nation, this is where Paul, that word content, where your country is self-sufficient, we were, we, were, we were giving food to other countries. We were supporting other countries that needed help. We were always the first ones there see, because God had blessed us. And Paul is saying he's not going to be self-sufficient in himself. Rather, he's abundantly satisfied with what God has given to him, and he doesn't have to go anywhere else. God is the provider. Yeah. And nothing needs to be imported outside of Paul's life because he has everything he needs from the Lord. That's what he's saying here. He's content. And Corey Ten Boom put it well. It's in your notes. You'll never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Mm-hmm. It's a little... Change in the verbiage there. Until Christ. Yeah, you, know, you need. Anyway, we could say yes to, to Corey because she learned that well. Number three, learn to adapt. Uh, verse 12 I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul had something you and I need, and that is, he says, I know. I know. I know how to live. I know. That's something he learned. I know. And so he can speak with confidence as he writes this letter. And Paul, under house arrest, he has to pay for his own rent, by the way, being under house arrest. The government's not paying his rent. (laughs) He's got to pay it. And where's that money? He can't work. He's, he can't support himself as a tent maker. Right? He's chained to a Roman guard. So this is where outside uh, sources are supporting his ministry, really. And so it's, it's not mere head knowledge, but it's, a, it's heart. It's a heart experience born out of real-life situations. And you and I are learning that all the time. As we walk with the Lord, we see his faithfulness over time. There's a history with him, right? And so we can trust him into the future. He was faithful here. He's faithful right now. He'll be faithful in the future. God never runs out, you know, of supply. He's faithful. And so... Paul is saying full, you know, I whether I'm full, that means, you know, he's got a full stomach or when he's got an empty stomach, when his, he's got money in the bank, when he doesn't. Paul says, I'm going from this side to this side, doesn't matter. I'm covering it all. I'm content. I'm good. Right? So in 2017, the Americans, Americans spent $70 billion on lottery tickets. Anybody know how much we spent last year? $70 billion in 2017. It went up to $105 billion last year. That was more than spent on sports tickets, books, video games, movie tickets, and music combined. Why? Because people think, you know, if I win the lottery, then I have a chance for real happiness. Well, Time Magazine in an article about people who won the lottery, and this is they did an expose on this. And one of the people was this man, he went broke uh, four years after winning $315 million. And how do you do that? Well, he did it, he found a way. And in the process, he lost his daughter, his granddaughter, to drug overdoses. That he said were directly related to his winnings. He was robbed of over a half million dollars as he was sitting in his car one day. And this is what he said I don't like what I've become. I wish I would have just torn up the ticket instead. Wow. And so that's where it goes back to where Paul says, I've learned, you know, the secret to be content with or without. He's good with that. Sounds a lot like Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Beware, guard you against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. That's Jesus, red letter. And um, Paul writing in verse 12 here, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Um, Contentment is learned. Paul is saying I've learned and we need to continue to learn. Right? We need to continue to learn, right? Yeah. yeah, we do. We we say yes to that. We need to continue to learn. Um, Corey and... Hey, can I back up real quick? Because I, I wanted to sing a song, and I missed it. And so I want to sing it again. But going back to celebrating, you know, going back to number one, we can't let that get by. Um, last Sunday night, man, we had a hymn sing here. It was great. Man, we had a great turnout. We had a blast, man. And a footnote to, to that hymn, the hymn, Count Your Blessings, so, so learning to celebrate. Listen to this verse, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. You can th- see Paul's face here. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Right? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Boom! So, that's a way to celebrate, man. If you think, oh man, I wish I had more... Paul says, start, "Start counting your blessings on what you do have, yeah. and then you'll remember what God has done instead of just feeling sorry for yourself." Yeah. Yeah. So, when you go home this afternoon, put that on your radio as you drive home. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Corey Tinboom, Betsy Tinboom, thrown in Ravensbrook, Brook. Concentration camp because they were hiding Jews in Holland during World War II. Somebody betrayed them, and they were arrested and thrown into a camp. Corey writes about this in The Hiding Place, this conversation she had with her sister Betsy. Corey, this is Betsy. She said excitedly. She's excited. Catch that. She's in a prison camp concentration camp, and she's fired up. Do you get it? Yeah. He's given us the answer, talking about Jesus. Before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning, where was it? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Read that again, Corey. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. That's it, Cory. Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right here, right now, and thank God for every single thing about these new barracks. Think about it. I stared at her, Corey said. Then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, such as, I asked Betsy, such as being assigned here together. We're together in this barrack. I bit my lip, Corey said. (sighs) Such as what you're holding in your hands. And I looked down in the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all these women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here. Since we're packed so close that many more will hear. Betsy looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. All right, Corey said. Thank you for the jam, cram, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely for the fleas and for, and Betsy just had a meltdown. Corey had a meltdown. The fleas, this is too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a, the fleas. And Betsy said, come on, Corey, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between the tears of the bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. Corey wrote this in her book uh, that the worship services they had with the other women in the barracks, and they had a Bible that they had smuggled past the guards. At first, they were nervous to do so, but surprisingly, no guard ever came near them in their meetings. They didn't understand why. And one day, they realized why they were given such freedom. One evening, Corey said, when I was walking back to the barracks, Betsy was waiting for me, as always, so we could wait through the food line together. Her eyes were twinkling, twinkling. She was fired up. She was celebrating. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. Betsy said, you know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in this big room. Well, I just found out. That afternoon, she said, there had been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes and had asked the supervisor to come and settle it, but she wouldn't come. She wouldn't step through the door and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy was fired up, Corey said. I mean, she, her voice, you could tell. She was excited because of the fleas. That's what she said. That place is crawling with fleas, and I'm not going in there. My mind rushed back, Corey said, to our first hour in this concentration camp, in the barracks. I remembered Betsy's bowed head, remembered her thanking God for the creatures I could see no use for. Corey learned to adapt. Friend, you and I need to learn, as Paul says, to adapt, right? So that we can maintain being contented with what the Lord has given us and where the Lord has placed us. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And once again, we are amazed at how relevant it is for 2022. We may not be chained to a praetorium guard, Lord, under house arrest, but man, life is changing rapidly all around us. And sometimes it makes us nervous, and sometimes it makes us feel unstable, Lord. But Paul is giving us a glimpse on how we can love God, love people, and love life under house arrest. And help us, Lord, in this room and those watching online, help us to learn, Lord, keep learning about you. Help us to be content with where you have placed us. Lord, we trust you. You are God. We're not. Forgive us if we have become discontented and complaining and whining against you. And what a model it is for Corey and Betsy in a concentration camp to celebrate you and seeing you work even there. Lord, we want to we be liberated from our selfish thoughts and thinking. Remember that you have and you own everything. You're allowing us to use it temporarily for your honor and glory. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I can't identify with these people. Uh, Paul. Gary Meeks in a plane crash, and Corey and Betsy Tin Boom in a concert. I just can't identify with that. Once again, one sin is enough to keep us out of heaven because God is holy. But the cool thing is, God did something about it because He loves you. And he sent his one son to go to the cross to pay for your sin debt and my sin debt. Not partially, not picking and choosing what sins, but all of our sins. So that when we put our trust in him, we say, Jesus, you took my place. I don't deserve it, but you paid my sin debt in full. And so today, Lord, I put my trust in you. I put all my weight on what you did for me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe you paid my sin debt in full. I believe you will forgive all of my sins. I trust you. Thank you, Lord. And with the Holy Spirit's power, I will live for you the rest of my life. Yeah. And the cool thing is, your name has been added to the book of life. That's your reservation for heaven. And you can live for the Lord right here, right now. And see him live through you. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven. He will live through you right now for his honor and glory. So thank you, Lord, for the good work that you did 2,000 years ago. Thank you that you are continuing to work around the world. And if we give you permission, you'll work in our lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen.